Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference. My name is Kyle Bruce, and I'll be your moderator for today's show. I'm also joined by author Larry Sternberg, one of our experts on management techniques, the research behind them, and why effectively implementing them can make a difference. Today's show is going to focus on chapters 28 and 29 of Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage's book, Managing to Make a Difference, and we're going to be talking about setting challenging goals and being unreasonably optimistic. So, Larry... Everyone listening today has no doubt heard, you know, song and verse about goal setting. Why is setting challenging goals and then being unreasonably optimistic about achieving them? Um, how does that? What does that matter in managing to make a difference? Why, why is this so important? Well, if you want to make a difference in the lives of your employees, you, the leader, the manager, you have to inspire them to excel. So I want every listener to put himself or herself in the, the following imaginary position. Imagine that you are part of a sports team and that I am the head coach of that sports team. And today is the first preseason meeting of our team. And I am giving you a pep talk. And I say with great enthusiasm this year, our goal is to come in third. <laughs> Now, yeah, how, how many people do you think are going to be excited about aspiring to come in third? Nobody, no top performer, I can tell you that, no top performer wants to strive to come in third or come in second. Top performers want leaders who believe in them who believe that they have the potential to win, to excel, to achieve goals that are beyond reasonable goals. And, you know, there's uh, lately, and actually for a long time, there's been a point of view that goals ought to be reasonable, they ought to be realistic, they ought to be achievable, and you ought to know how you're going to get there when you set a goal. Uh, and and lately we're hearing uh, the acronym SMART, and uh, uh, Kyle, uh, what does that acronym stand for? So SMART goals, as I understand them in the, uh, in the published components of SMART goals, it's um, – so SMART goals um, are – gosh, what's the S? I can't even think of what the S stands for now. So it's uh, SMART. It's going to be specific. Um, it's going to be um, – let's see. What's measurable. The, thank you. Measurable, achievable. Um, it's going realistic. to be realistic and, of course, T for timely. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I have to remember what the darn acronym is for. So, you know, I want to focus on the realistic aspect, realistic, reasonable, all those sorts of, of uh, words uh, to describe our goals, uh, all those sorts of adjectives. Uh, we're going to argue about what's reasonable. This happens in corporate America, and everybody is listening uh, if you're in a company that asks you to set your goals and send them into some corporate entity, almost certainly this is what happens. You and whoever is participating in setting those goals, which are probably going to be translated into your budget, you say to each other, we know that the corporate office is going to raise these goals. 
So let's not send in really ambitious goals. Let's make sure that we send in goals that we believe are eminently achievable. So we're going to so, sandbag. Yeah, you're going to sandbag. That's exactly right. And so the people in the corporate office weren't born yesterday. They received the goals and they say to each other, well, of course, the people in the field sandbag the goals. So, of course, we have to raise them because these goals are undoubtedly not ambitious enough. And there's this tug of war about what's reasonable, what's realistic, et cetera, et cetera. And years ago, I had the good fortune to start learning from a professor at the time, he was already emeritus, from the University of New Hampshire. And he was considered an authority on planning and goal setting and goal achievement. And his name was Dr. Fred Jervis. And he's been, he, he's, uh, he's not been with us for many years, but Dr. Jervis didn't talk about reasonable goals. He said, why don't we set ideal goals? Why don't we ask ourselves, if we all lived up to our potential, if we really hit the home runs this year, if things work really well, what's possible for us to achieve? Where do we think we could go? And why don't we articulate that goal? And he went on to explain that the difference between, the, uh, and we call those ideal goals, the difference between that kind of ideal goal and a reasonable goal that becomes part of your budget is very important. You do not get punished or reprimanded for the failure to achieve the ideal goal. Whereas you expect to be held accountable if you fail to achieve the reasonable goal, the realistic goal, because by definition, it's realistic, it's reasonable, you ought to get there. And, and Jervis, uh, one day I, I had the good fortune to just be talking to him one-on-one, -on -one, and he said, he had a PhD in psychology, and he said, Larry, early in my career, I started out as a marriage counselor. And he said, people would come in, and they'd, they'd start talking about their problems, and We'd focus on those problems and then some more problems would come up. And now we're working on more problems. And he said that that was our focus. And he, he said, after a few years of this, I noticed that I wasn't really helping these couples, that they weren't really making much progress in their relationship. He said, so I invented a different approach. He said a couple would come in and I would say to them, Never mind your problems right away. Let's start with the following exercise. I want you to describe for me what your ideal relationship would look like. If they were married, what's your ideal marital relationship? What would be happening between the two of you and what would not be happening? And how will we know if things are getting better? And he would let them go home and work on it. And they'd spend as much time as they needed, uh, you know, through these various sessions to help this couple articulate an answer to those questions. And once they articulated an answer to those questions, he would say, okay, what are you now going to do differently 
than you have been doing in order to move closer to that ideal outcome. Because we know if you don't do anything differently, if you keep doing things the same way, you're going to get the same outcomes you've always gotten. So we know that you have to decide to do something differently. And, and his model wasn't a model that you're held accountable if you don't achieve that ideal goal over time. But what he was looking for was the commitment to continuous improvement. Let's try this. Let's see what happens. If that doesn't work, let's try something else. If that, so it's this, it's the setting of an ideal goal that Kim Turnage and I are, are advocating in this book. Let's escape from this tug of war about what's realistic, what's reasonable, and let's ask ourselves. Let's just shrug it off. Now, ideal goals often are goals that are not short term. They're often, I mean, what's realistic in terms of eliminating homelessness in the United States? What would be a realistic goal? We do it by 50%? I yeah, mean, you decrease but, but, it in some sort of way, right? Uh, uh, Maybe that's not even realistic. Right. Uh, but what I hope people are working on is let's eliminate homelessness in the United States. I mean, people are starving to death around the globe, and we are so blessed in this country. Uh, the, the meal that I'm going to eat tonight uh, is going to be so sumptuous compared to what people are eating around the globe that some of these people may never eat a meal uh, like this in their entire life. And I, I think sometimes we take we take for granted all the blessings we have uh, by by living in this country as we do, et cetera. And my my point is, what goals should the people who are really actively every day getting up and working on the elimination of famine, the elimination of people who are starved, what should their goal be? Uh, let's reduce it by ten percent. I mean, their goal, I hope, is let's eradicate it. Let's acknowledge that there's actually enough food on the planet to, to feed everybody. Uh, you know, we have these surpluses of grain. We have people throwing food away because, you know, there are excesses. I mean, so their goal should be let's eliminate it. Maybe we can't do that tomorrow. But let's make that the commitment. So when we're talking about ideal goals, that's what we're talking about. Um, so do you think – I guess my question is do you think then smart goals, you know, these specific, measurable, achievable, reasonable, realistic, and timely then are a subset of ideal goals or do you think they should just be – just got rid of all altogether? Uh, I'm not sure what the answer to that question is uh, because I know that those are helpful for a lot of people to make progress and and – uh, I know that there are a lot of people who are just flat out intimidated by ideal goals. And some of that has to do with your self-esteem and your ego. Sure. A lot Where, of people can't conceptualize what, yeah. as well. They, what, what do you think you're capable of? And, yeah. and of course, as we have advocated in the book, the expectations of the leader, the coach, et cetera, make a huge difference as to what we think we might be capable of doing the belief of the manager, the belief of the leader that this group of people can indeed accomplish some sort of ideal goal is, is very, very important for people to be able to achieve it. So I, I that's a great question. Should we eliminate smart goals? I, I don't think I'm willing to say we should eliminate them, but I, I, I certainly believe that they are not adequate 
that they are not enough. So you know, in the book, you actually talk about, you know, not just unreasonable, but you know, an ideal, but audacious goals, too. And, and when we get back, we're actually going to go into a break here in just a moment. But um, when we come back, I want you to tell um, a couple of stories related to some audacious goals and how people went about accomplishing them and, and why they're so powerful when you think about that, uh, that, that bigger picture component. So that's what we'll do when we come back from the break. We'll, we'll talk a little more about audacious goals uh, and how we can rally people around them. Um, so before we do that, um, we, we talk more about that. If you haven't ordered your books yet, uh, you can go to Amazon.com. You can go to BarnesandNoble.com uh, to get those books. We'd love uh, also to hear some feedback. We, we'd love to answer listener questions. So if you do have a question or comment that you'd like to leave for Kim or Larry, and hey, I'm happy to answer those questions as well, just click that email host button um, just above the podcast description, and we'll work some of those topics and questions to upcoming podcasts. Um, your questions do help make the show an awful lot better. So we'd love to hear some of those from the audience. So join us after the break and we'll talk a little more with, uh, with Larry about audacious goals. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Well, 
Well, welcome back and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference this afternoon. We've been talking to Larry today about setting challenging goals and being a little unreasonably optimistic about those. Uh, These topics do come from chapters 28 and 29 of Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage's book, Managing to Make a Difference. And to start off, we are really talking about goal setting and how smart goals are very different from the concept of ideal goals that uh, Larry learned from Fred Jervis uh, many years ago. Uh, and as we focused on, you know, just focusing on problems or more taking a different approach uh, to focus on maybe what the ideal is. So I'm going to turn it back over to Larry because he really wanted to go into some stories. Um, I also want to talk about, you know, audacious goals and maybe some um, examples yeah, of that as well. Absolutely. Uh, but I before we get into that, in terms of contrasting reasonable goals and ideal goals, I want to talk about marriage vows. We could probably pretty easily, we're not in a position to do any Googling here right at the moment, but we could, if we wanted to, find out what the average length of a marriage is in the United States of America with all the people getting divorced, et cetera, et cetera. We could probably pretty easily uh, find out what the average length of a marriage is. Now, when you're taking your marriage vows, do you want to set a reasonable goal, a smart goal, or do you want to set an ideal goal? Do you want to say, till death do us part? And, you know, the, the uh, you know, through uh, sickness and health and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, do, do you want to do that? Or do you want to say, well, gee, the average marriage is X number of years. And so that would be a, a realistic goal. And let's let's be a little bit more ambitious. Let's add a few years to to the average. And let's say uh, we hope to be married for, you know, X, X number of years here. Uh, that would be a realistic, reasonable goal. Uh, hey, honey, I love you. I think we can make it longer than, say, Uncle Bob yeah. did in his first marriage. That, that's right. <laughs> Uh, so uh, that's the difference. When you're when when most people are taking their marriage vows, they're they're making an ideal commitment, and they they of course hope to live up to that commitment. So that's just another illustration of the difference between setting a smart goal and setting an ideal goal. Ideal goals are the ones that really inspire people. And Kyle was asking me about audacious goals, and this. There is a concept that comes out of the book, which has now been around a long time. The book is called Built to Last, and it was the first book written by Collins. And uh, in that book, they articulated the concept of big, hairy, audacious goals, B-H-A-G, big, hairy, audacious goals, BHAGs, B-hags. is what they are known as. And these are inspirational goals. And it's been so many years since I read this book, but I still remember they studied the Boeing company, the company that makes uh, aircraft, Boeing. And and uh, they talked about how the 747 was originally conceived. And the the leaders of the company conceived this and they said we're going to make this because we're Boeing and this is the kind of thing we do and that the the leap at the time the leap to the 747 was uh, a, a huge leap it was a big hairy audacious goal I also uh, one of my favorite illustrations of a BHAG is President Kennedy's 
pronouncement that he was setting a goal that in 10 years we were going to put a man on the moon. And I, I remember that announcement. I'm, yes, I'm that old. I remember <laughs> the announcement. And at the time Kennedy made the announcement, no one had even been in space yet. And here he is announcing that we're going to put a man on the moon within 10 years. As a matter of fact, it was accomplished in eight years. But at the time Kennedy made that pronouncement, nobody really knew how we were going to do that. That's the other thing about the big, hairy, audacious goals or ideal goals. They require creativity. They require different thinking. They require the recognition of Einstein's famous insight that the problems of today cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. So in order to achieve these ideal goals, in order to eliminate uh, uh, starvation, uh, in order to eliminate poverty, in order to accomplish really ideal goals, it is a built-in requirement that we have to think differently and invent different ways to go about making continuous progress toward those goals. But those are the kind of goals that inspire people. We all, you know, I've told when we were talking about the expectations of a leader, uh, Kim and I cited more than one story about teachers who have come into school systems or principals who have come into school systems where these school systems were uh, underperforming and people thought that the students were, you know, lazy and dumb and that sort of thing, and they wouldn't amount to anything. And uh, a principal comes in and just changes all that and says to his students, that's all hogwash. All of you are going to go to college. And guess what? They do. Uh, so uh, ideal goals are inspirational. They call forth the the additional effort that we talked about, the discretionary effort that we talked about uh, in previous uh, iPod, I mean, uh, podcast episodes. Uh, that's setting an, an ideal goal. So um, our next chapter in, in the book is really about then optimism and, and being unreasonably optimistic. So, you know, does a manager have to have a, a really healthy dose of unreasonable optimism to get people to accomplish ideal goals. And so if they're, if they're more of a pessimist, they should set smart goals versus uh, these ideal types of goals. Yeah. And if, frankly, if you're more of a pessimist, I don't think you should be a leader uh, <laughs> at all. Um, pessimists, optimism empowers someone to move into a situation and uh, with, the, with the genuine expectation that good outcomes are going to occur. So people who are optimistic will move into situations that pessimists will just avoid. There is, I, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard this, but I've always been amused by this example. Uh, and I, this probably never happened, but it's a, it's, it's a great, I, I, thinks it's an amusing fantasy that might have happened. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that is researchers 
uh, are trying to figure out whether kids are pessimistic or optimistic. Uh-huh. And, and so what they do is they fill a small room full of uh, horse manure. And they, they, <laughs> I love this story. They put a five year old girl in there, and uh, the first one they put in there just starts crying and she wants to be let out. She's mortified, and, and they don't leave her there very long. And they take her out and they clean her and then they soothe her and everything. And they, they, they put a couple of girls in there, and they're all doing that. And they take them out, and then they put one girl in there who's really excited. And she is digging around in this manure, and 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 <laughs> finally they stop her, and they say, "What? You seem very excited." She and she says, "Yeah." She said, "With all this manure in here, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere." <laughs> That's optimism. That's what happens. And maybe there was a pony in there. If there was, she would have found it. Whereas the other people would not have found it. And you know, when we when we come back from our break, I want to tell a story that's in the book. Uh, The title of the story is The Unmovable Float. And it is a story that is about being unreasonably optimistic and setting a very challenging goal as a result of the unreasonable optimism of a leader. So I I certainly want to talk about that. But um, pessimists should not be leaders. Leaders, fundamentally, whatever else we say about a leader, one of their fundamental motivators must be that they want to make things better. And frankly, that stance requires the, the enough optimism to believe that things can, in fact, get better. And, and pessimists uh, tend to gravitate toward the opposite point of view. And will not move into situations that optimistic people will move into. And that's why optimistic people are much more frequently successful than pessimistic people. So uh, we've, we've got about a minute or so left here before we go into the break. And so when we come back, we're going to talk, uh, Larry's going to tell a story about the unmovable float uh, on Lake Winnipesaukee. And we'll sort of learn what, what that is all about. Uh, uh, so, we are going to come back, and we, again, we'd love to hear comments from our listeners. So go ahead and click that email host button just above the podcast description. Give us your comments. Uh, give us your questions, and we'd love to work those into a future show. Um, so we are going to take a quick break here, folks. We'll be back in just a few moments. Uh, another point I'd love to make is a lot of listeners have asked for additional material. So they want to impact their their style. They want to impact their teams. Um, this happens quite a bit. And so we always direct those individuals to our website uh, that we've created, uh, kind of a microsite for additional materials for managing to make a difference. And that's www manage to make a difference.com where you can download uh, supporting documents and some of the things we've actually talked about in the book. So again, that's manage to make a difference.com. And if you are looking to order books for your entire team, you can go ahead and go to uh, www.800ceoread.com. Again, 800ceoread.com where you can order uh, bulk books, six or more and get a 20% discount. So it's always really great to save a little money when you're ordering extra books. Um, So we'll be back in just a few minutes and we'll talk more with Larry about managing to make a difference and a little bit of uh, unreasonable optimism. So excited to talk to you in just a few moments. Talk to you soon.
asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference this afternoon. Uh, We've been talking to Larry Sternberg about setting challenging goals and being unreasonably optimistic. These topics both come from uh, Larry's book, Larry Sternberg and uh, Kim Turner's book, Managing Make a Difference, and specifically they're from chapters 28 and 29 of that book. Uh, Really, we started out today by talking about reasonable goals, you know, smart goals versus ideal goals, and we moved in and really talked about BHAGs or big, hairy, audacious goals and how those inspire people. Uh, inspire uh, individuals to want to accomplish something truly amazing or great like you know Boeing building the 747 or JFK's uh, moonshot you know is getting a man on the moon in 10 years you know and the fact that these require an awful lot of creativity a lot of different types of thinking and they really call upon discretionary effort from our, our people um, in, in in many cases some reasonable optimism so I'm going to turn it over to Larry who wants to share a story with us about the unmovable float that we kind of talked about last segment. This is a story that illustrates why optimists are more frequently successful than pessimists. I was visiting my former boss and mentor, a gentleman by the name of Siggy Brower. He had a a wonderful uh, summer home on Lake Winnipesaukee, which happens to be the oldest resort community in the United States of America. It's in New Hampshire. And it was late spring. 
late spring, not even early summer. It was late spring. And he had uh, his his summer home was on the lake and he had a dock and he had a boat. And uh, also they had uh, a float uh, and, uh, you know, the, the kind of float that it's like a dock, but it's not connected to the land. So it's out into the lake a ways and you you swim out there and you can, you know, sit on the sit on the float, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a big float. It was it was uh, several um, garbage cans, several um, metal garbage cans, which were sealed, so that's they would float. And then there was heavy wood on top of them. So and, it probably weighed hundreds of pounds. Oh, it, yeah, it, it was very, very heavy. And in New Hampshire, the winters are the winters are harsh, and so you can't leave that thing on the lake all year round. You have to bring it up onto the shore uh, in in order to, for it to survive uh, the winter. And so this. This float had been brought up onto the shore. Now, in this part of the world, there used to be glaciers. And because the lake is a lake that was made when the glacier receded, it's a spring-fed lake, these glacial lakes do not have sandy beaches. These glacial lakes have rocks. Uh <laughs> Where you know, right down there on the water, and some some large boulders. That's just that's just the way they are, and it's quite beautiful. In any event, this float had been dragged up onto the shore, which was all of these very large rocks. And our host, there were several of us uh, staying at this at this uh, summer home over a long weekend. And and Siggy, the host, said, "Hey." As long as we've got a couple of guys here, why don't why don't we go down and put the float in the water? It's about that time, and so there were there were three of us: uh, myself, Siggy, and one other gentleman who I can't remember his name. But there were three of us, and we went down on that shore, and we could not budge this float. It was very heavy, and we tried various combinations. We tried one person on each of three corners. We tried everybody on one side. We tried, we just did various permutations, looking at how it was sitting on the rocks and trying to figure out uh, how we could possibly get this thing to move. Uh, and it wasn't moving. And there came a point in time when I realized, you know what, three of us, the three of us, we, we are not going to move this thing. Uh, it was obvious to me. And Siggy just wouldn't give up. He said, we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. Let's keep trying. And while we kept trying, in my opinion, futilely at one point, <laughs> um, a couple of young men in their, in their, in their 20s uh, were out just cruising around in their, in their boat. And they saw what we were trying to do. They saw us struggling. And so they pulled up the boat. They threw over their anchor. And they, they you know, they were just out cruising and drinking beer and having a, having a nice day on the lake. And they threw their anchor out. And they just dived out of that boat. And they swam up to the shore. And it was no problem for five of us to put that float in the water. No problem whatsoever. And the moral of this story is that but for Siggy's optimism, 
his unreasonable optimism, because there was no way the three of us were going to put that float in the water, but for his unreasonable optimism, we wouldn't have been there when they came by in the boat. And that's just one way that unreasonable optimism and unreasonable goals can be accomplished because of the unreasonable. It causes you to move into a situation and to stay into a situation to keep trying, even though it is not reasonable anymore to believe that you're going to get the outcome you originally were after. And uh, obviously that has stayed with me. This is many, many years ago. But what for me, a powerful illustration of the importance of optimism for a leader. So we've talked about, you know, setting challenging goals and being a little unreasonably optimistic. But, you know, how how would a manager, somebody listening today says, "Okay, I want to do this. Well, how would they get started? How would they start thinking, well, gee, um, how do I look at our goals and see if they are a little bit more challenging than just your old run of the mill smart goals? Because, you know, everybody's told smart goals, smart goals, smart goals. How do we do this? Well, in fact. Most people listening to this podcast, they they will have to do this in secret because they're being held accountable for the SMART goals. They're a part of a system and they can't just decide to step out of that system. They can't do it. Um, so they're going to have to continue to participate in that SMART goal system. However, secretly, if they wanted to ask, if they wanted to get started, they could say to themselves and their team, look, why don't we answer this question? If we all lived up to our potential and things really went our way, what do you think we could accomplish? What outcomes do you think we could accomplish here that are maybe beyond the the SMART goals that we're being held accountable for? And if you can get people to answer that question, And it's not necessarily easy to get people to even participate in the endeavor of answering that question. And the reason is they're so used to being punished, to being held accountable if they articulate a goal and they don't get there. And these are different kind of goals. I can tell you, uh, so that's how you get started. You ask that question. But as the leader, you have to somehow free people up enough free their thinking up enough, make sure they understand you're not going to be punished if we don't get there. This, this is that, that, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about an ideal. I remember some years ago when I first became a general manager with Ritz Carlton, under my watch, we did our first employee satisfaction survey and it, it came back terrible. It was dismal. We were like next to last in the company in employee satisfaction. I wanted to shoot myself. <laughs> it was terrible. And and I I worked with my uh, HR director, Marie Minerich, and we set an ideal goal. We said next year we want to score 90 out of 100 points on this. And the next year we scored 90 points. And when the when the results were announced, 
we happened to be in a large uh, conference and the results, it was an internal company conference and the results were announced at this conference and we happened to be sitting across the room from each other. And when the results were announced, we were number two in the company, but we looked at each other and we said, we didn't set our goals high enough. <laughs> uh, Maybe if we had said 95, maybe we would have gotten to 93. That's the thing about ideal goals. If you if you strive for an ideal goal, going back to the season, going back to the sports team, if you set a goal to be number one, you are much more likely to finish higher in the conference than if you set a goal to be number three. Because I assure you, if you set a goal to be number three, you're not going to be any higher than number three. And you might not even get there. Right. So if you want to set a goal that you might not achieve – Set an ideal goal and then see how close you can get to the goal. You're almost certainly going to go beyond what a reasonable goal would have been. It reminds me of the old adage of, you know, shoot for the moon. And even if you miss, you're still among the stars. You know, it's that concept. As cheesy as it sounds, it's it's really quite true. Well, um, you know, Larry, I see we're going to get close to a break here, but – We've we've talked about these two chapters in the book, you know, setting uh, challenging goals and being a little uh, unreasonably optimistic. But these are part of uh, really section three of managing to make a difference. Um, and we're going to be moving into section four. So one of the things I wanted to do as we go into the break and then talk into our, our next uh, last segment is really talk, just do a little bit of a review. You know, what have we learned so far as we've talked about the first couple of sections and then uh, preview just a little bit of, of the next chapter we want to do. So uh, we'll go into a break here and then we'll come back and we'll do a little bit of a review of the chapters that are the sections that we've talked about uh, and their importance in managing to make a difference. So, again, I know everybody wants to hear more, so I'll leave that little teaser for them. Um, again, if you have questions or comments, please click on that email host button just above the podcast description. We would love to get questions and comments and add them to the show. It always makes it a lot better and a lot more interesting. Um, and if you are looking for some supplements, if you're looking for some help on how you can do a, a, a better job of managing to make a difference or some helpful hints as you think about becoming a manager or being a better manager, uh, again, go to managetomakeadifference.com. We've got all those subsequent materials that go along with the book. Um, if you have questions, let us know. Uh, and we'll be right back with Larry to talk a little more just about managing to make a difference in general. We'll see you in just a few moments. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. 
Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Managing Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg. Uh, We started today on the topic of setting challenging goals and being unreasonably optimistic. Uh, These topics come from uh, chapters 28 and 29 of Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage's book, Managing to Make a Difference. And really what we've been talking about today is, you know, not just setting smart goals, but really focusing on on ideal goals. Not, Not necessarily those reasonable ones, but ones that are uh, big, hairy, audacious goals. Right? If you think about some of the, uh, the the books that are written about goal setting out there, like JFK's um, claim to, to put a man on the moon or Boeing building the 747, you know, they require creativity, a lot of different thinking, and they call people, you know, they call up a lot more discretionary efforts because of the ideal nature of them uh, within your team, uh, because they are unreasonably optimistic, and, and you know, it takes that sort of attitude or that that um, that mindset. To be optimistic about accomplishing them to, to really get to ideal goals. Um, and we told a few stories, but also one of the things we wanted to do today is to recap uh, the first couple sections of managing to make a difference because we're to, today this is the last chapter in section three of managing to make a difference. Uh, and that one's focusing on maximizing engagement and motivation. But I'd, I'd like for Larry just to do a quick recap of sections one, two, and three as we move into section four of managing to make a difference. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to you, Larry. Well, terrific. If you want to make a difference in the lives of your employees, the most important thing you must do is to cultivate positive relationships. That's the title of section one, cultivate positive relationships. And I'm just going to pick some of what I, as I'm sitting here uh, at this moment, what I think are the most important uh, teachings in this section. And the most important one is in chapter four, accept people as they are. If anyone listening to this podcast 
and buying the book. If you want to get the most important teaching from the book, just go to chapter four and read chapter four because chapter four can change your life. When you quit asking people to change and you accept people as they are, you are going to transform your relationships. And when you do that, I assure you, you're going to change your life. So accept people as they are. Quit trying to change them. Get close to your people if you're a manager. Ignore the advice that you shouldn't get close to your people. Learn as much as you can about them and let them learn as much as they can about you. The more you know about another person for the right reason, which is to help them to make a positive difference, the more you know about someone else, the more likely it is that you will be able to make that positive difference for them. When you may, here's, here's another couple of points that don't, don't appear in most books on leadership and management. From time to time, you're going to screw up. And when you do, apologize. Apologize to people. It's a very human thing to do. And people will appreciate it. And it will help your relationships. And on the other side of that coin, when somebody else screws up, forgive them. Forgive them. These are a couple of important points on cultivating positive relationships. And then I'll, I'll pick a couple out of section two. The title of section two is Accelerate People's Growth. So if you start with a foundation of relationship, which is how you influence another person, and then you're focusing on accelerating their growth, the foundation of that is accepting them as they are and understanding that there's a difference between room for improvement and potential for improvement. And potential lies in a person's area of giftedness. And so when you get close and when you learn about people, when you accept them as they are, you start to understand that they have some gifts. And how do you help people grow is by celebrating those gifts, is by putting them in situations where those gifts can be manifested and getting them into into courses, into activities that will help them grow those gifts, whatever those gifts are. And then set the right expectations. What are those? Those are expectations that they use their gifts, that they grow in their areas of gifts. And they're all, we all have more areas where we don't have gifts than where we do. And, and let's not ask people for responses that they don't have in their repertoire. People aren't going to grow. If somebody's an introvert, asking them to act like an extrovert is not helpful and can damage it can damage their self-esteem when they can't exhibit the behaviors you want. So again, quit trying to change people. And part of that to help people grow is don't place expectations that people should be demonstrating behaviors that they don't have in their repertoire. So section three, couple points I want to make. So we just Finished, be unreasonably optimistic with people. That's how you inspire people, where you say to people, I believe that we can do this. Let's go for it. Let's see how close we can get to this particular ideal outcome where every student in the class gets accepted into college or, or some sort of ideal outcome like that. Uh, that's what inspires people. Set challenging goals. So we've just we've just done that with 
people today. And this is how you're going to harness discretionary effort. And then also, if you want to maximize engagement and motivation, which is the title of Section 3, you have to empower people. And that's not just by teaching them things. That's by allowing them to make decisions about what they're going to do in their life, what they're going to do to run their departments, et cetera. How are they going to take care of a customer? Uh, you need to empower people to make those decisions and then be there as their coach and their mentor. And next week, we're going to start Section 4. And I give a little preview of Section 4. Section 4 is titled, Build Extraordinary Teams. When you can do that, you want to make a difference in somebody's life? Build a team that is an extraordinary team, a team that has esprit de corps, a team where the team members care deeply about each other. There aren't many experiences in life that deliver uh, the, the positive benefits of a person being on that team. And many years ago, Warren Bennis, the world-famous leadership expert and Harvard University professor, wrote a book about extraordinary teams. And I think he called it- Organizing Genius. Yes, thank you. Organizing Genius. And I hope you can still find that book out there. But he studied extraordinary teams and, and what they had achieved and how the people felt and how it was a singular experience in their life. And you can do that as a manager. So in this section, we build on the previous sections and help you understand how do you go about creating an extraordinary team. Well, I see our next episode is about uh, recruiting continuously, Larry. You know, I'm pretty passionate about recruiting, as you know, but can you give the audience a little bit of a, a preview since it's in the section build extraordinary teams? Obviously, recruiting is a big part of that. Yeah, people just, unfortunately, the normal approach is you don't even start recruiting until somebody gives their notice or even worse, they've left and now you're in a panic. To, but you, you recruit continuously to get out ahead of that so you know where the good people are and it, it, you can reduce the time it takes to uh, fill an open position. Perfect. Well, you've heard about our next chapter a little bit. Hopefully you'll join us to learn more about recruiting continuously and its importance and how it affects uh, building extraordinary teams in Section 4. So really, that's our show today, folks. It's been great to have you listening in. Uh, a big thanks to our host, Larry, uh, for his insights on goal setting and optimism. Um, and if you haven't ordered your uh, your book yet, you can get one. Uh, certainly, you can get Managing to Make a Difference at Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. And again, if you want to order a book orders of those, you can go to 800ceoreads.com. Uh, again, if you're looking for some support materials, just go to manage to make a difference.com as well. And we'd love to have you visit there. And uh, of course, provide us any thoughts and questions you might have. So until next time, folks, that's our show today. Uh, go out there and look for ways that you can manage to make a difference in those around you. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference with Talent Plus's Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We hope these real-life management examples will help you manage teams across the globe. Just a reminder, this series airs on Voice America, the business channel, each Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We hope you'll tune in next week for Managing to Make a Difference. Until then, put these practices into place and manage to make a difference.